Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Second Service here at MRCC and this spring break weekend. It's good to be with you. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. I, I don't know if you're like me, but I just, I fell totally and madly in love with that song the first time I heard it. All my life, God, you have been faithful. And this morning as I was worshiping, it was just on my heart. I felt like God wanted me to share something with you, especially if you're maybe in the, the early part of life, you know, maybe you're in your teens or your 20s or even your 30s. I remember thinking when I was that age, oh God, how is this all going to work out, you know? Uh, how's this story going to go on? How's it going to uh, end? And what's it going to be like? And And I remember the Lord saying to me very clearly, Greg, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will make your path straight. That's Proverbs chapter 3, if you're wondering. In all your ways, acknowledge me. And so I remember saying, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but I want to acknowledge you in all my ways. Rhonda and I saying that, okay, we're going to do that. And now, I just want to say to you as somebody, you know, closing in on 60, you can trust him in that. He will be faithful. He will see you through. And if you're, if you're making those kinds of decisions, know this. If you acknowledge him in all your ways, he will make your path straight. That's how faithful he is. And you will come to this place where you look back and you go, oh, God, wow, you have been faithful. I got to tell you, that's a good feeling. Kind of like the feeling I had when I bought this shirt. And I said... <laughs> I said, I got me another one of my shirts. And I came home and I said, honey, look at the new shirt I bought. And she said, yeah, that's a shirt you would buy. And so they were there. <laughs> faithful, faithful. It's good to be with you this morning again uh, on a spring break week. I hope you were able to enjoy yourself or are planning to this afternoon. I know I'm going to enjoy myself this afternoon because after third service is over, I'm on a week of vacation. So <laughs> I'm just going to enjoy the heck out of myself. Uh, but not really going anywhere, just kind of taking a, a break for a week. It's good to be with you. Hey, friends, a couple, of, uh, a couple of things to share with us uh, before we get into the message this morning. One of them is that this is a, a membership morning. I love this every spring and every fall. We are thrilled this morning to welcome into membership here at MRCC 37 more people who came through the class and have made that choice to become members of their local church, of their home church. And if that's you, if you're in second service and your name is on that slide, we, we kind of warned you about this. Would you stand for a moment so we can welcome you publicly? Would you just do that? Stand up where you are. Yes. Yep. Receiving folks into membership. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Welcome. That is such a big deal in God's eyes when we kind of take that public step to say, you know what, I'm part of this local body. I'm part of this group of believers. You know, it's got its ups and downs. On the one hand, you're stuck with us, but on the other hand, you're stuck with us, so it's a good thing. But welcome to you this morning. We're thrilled to, to, to welcome you into a membership this morning. Thank you for, for going through that process and making that commitment. A couple of things that are coming up. Uh, this next uh, Saturday is actually the Ladies' Spring Tea. You know, you've probably heard us talking about that, so ladies, you're invited to come and be a part of that. You can sign up at the guest center. You can scan the QR code in the seat in front of you. Sign up that way, or you can just show up. Uh, bring your friends. There's no cost. We would love to have you there. That's going to be this Saturday, just a great time of fellowship. 
also in a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be, I think three weeks, we're coming up on the Love and Respect Marriage Conference. That's a Friday night and a Saturday morning, and, and I'm inviting you to make an investment in your marriage, to set aside that evening and that morning to just learn what makes marriage thrive. And, and Love and Respect, this curriculum, is really the most practical nuts and bolts in, in all my years that I have encountered. It's good stuff. It's great stuff. No cost. Bring a friend. Even if you're kind of thinking about being married someday and you say, man, I want to learn about that. This is good stuff. So the Love and Respect Conference come up. You can sign up in all the usual ways. That's just around the corner. Then a little later in May, we'll be coming up on the Men's Conference as well. Uh, you can find out more about that on the website. That's going to be a Thursday through a Saturday. Lots of good things coming up. And then finally, uh, the last thing is, um, you know, if you would be interested in joining a team, becoming part of the group that serves and, and makes Sundays and Wednesdays happen here at MRCC, uh, we'd love to include you in that. And so you can go to the join a team spot on our website. You can scan again the code on the seat in front of you, stop by the guest center, whatever, say hi. Lots of us would be thrilled to talk to you about becoming part of a team and all, a lot of different areas. So uh, a good stuff. Grab your Bible, friends, this morning, if you would, and open it to uh, Romans chapter 9. And, and now that we've rejoiced in Easter and, and thrilled to that last week, we're going to go back to that study we said would take us the whole spring. We began in January, walking all the way through Romans, the epistle to the Romans. We're in chapter 9 this morning. And you remember what we said. It's, this, it's God's agenda in our lives. As you grow up in the Lord, as you grow up in your faith, it's God's agenda to move you from the point where, where your Bible is just kind of something you run to when you have a problem. That's, that's normal and good when we're young in our faith. That's how we begin. But God wants to grow us to the place where we receive his word on its own terms, where we allow him to speak to us about things that we really don't even know we need to hear about yet. But he, in his father heart, wants to shape our minds, our hearts, our spirits. And so we approach his word as we grow older. We learn to receive it on its own terms, to, to not pick and choose, but to just let us ourselves soak in it. That's what we're doing in this spring series here in Romans. And this morning we find ourselves in chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. And, and let me begin by asking you a question, that is, what kinds of things do you tend to be nostalgic about? You know what nostalgia is, right? It's when you remember the good old days, when you think back to the way it was. What sorts of things do you tend to be nostalgic about? We all have things we're nostalgic about. What are yours? Everybody has that tendency. Sometimes nostalgia can get us in trouble. Sometimes it can make us think we're living in a world that doesn't exist anymore. You've probably experienced this. For example, when I was growing up, if you went to the beach or you went to the lake on a summer day, there was a certain kind of shoe that you would often take with you. You would grab these because you were going to the beach. You were going swimming. And it had a, a name. It was called by a certain name. And uh, I grew up thinking of those shoes in those terms. And so when a few years ago I said to a large group of college students, hey, we're going to go to the beach. Grab your thongs and come with me. <laughs> I got some puzzled looks from people. Because I was still living in the 70s when flip-flops were called thongs. If you don't know, that's what they were back then. I have nostalgia for when they were called thongs. But I'm learning that they're not anymore and trying not to use those terms. 
Nostalgia is what happens when time and a fading memory make us forget the hard stuff in our past and only remember the good things. We all have that tendency. And, and sometimes what that tendency does is it creates kind of a made-up past that looks a certain way in our memory, but if we could jump in a time machine and actually go back there, we'd remember a lot of stuff that we forgot, and we'd remember that it wasn't all roses. We call those things the good old days. And it's funny, this, this tendency to nostalgia is so strong. I've noticed sometimes I'll, I'll have a group of people together and, and I'll say, hey, what do you remember from the good old days? What was better in the past? And I'll get hands going up all over there. This was better. That was better. The other thing was better. And then I'll say, okay, and, and how have things gotten better now? And it's amazing. It'll be crickets. <laughs> Hardly anybody can think of anything because of our tendency in nostalgia. Now, the reality was if you had to give up a lot of stuff that are in the new days, you would struggle with that. But our tendency to nostalgia blinds us to it. It's a very real thing. It's so real that actually our Lord Jesus talked about it. Here's what he said about our tendency to nostalgia. Uh, Luke chapter 5, he said this, No one pours new wine into new wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, the wineskins will be ruined. He was talking about how he was the fulfillment of the gospel. He's the new wine. And he says new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And then here's his reference to our tendency to nostalgia. He says, No one, after drinking the old wine, wants the new for he says, the old is better. In other words, we have this tendency to be nostalgic and to kind of cling to the good old days, to cling to the past. And nostalgia can actually, if we, if we just kind of give ourselves to it, if, if we don't hear what Jesus is saying in this moment, you know, we can kind of grow old without ever growing up because we're still clinging to what we think of as the good old days. It's human nature. Human nature resists change. But here's the thing. Without continuing to change, we can't grow up in our faith, in our relationships to our family and our friends. We can't grow up if we don't continue change. Not because the truth itself changes, but because the way we experience it grows. Let me say it again. Not because the truth itself changes. It doesn't. The gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the way we experience it very naturally is intended to grow as we grow. It gets deeper and wider and higher. God wants us to grasp that. What if you're, what if, to, to, to imagine the opposite, what if your 15-year-old came to you this afternoon and said, you know, Mom, you know, Dad, I've reached 15. I've reached my point of maturity in life. I've arrived. I'm pretty much here. There's not much really left for me to learn. So I'm just going to kind of settle down and, and, and just enjoy the maturity I've attained. You'd go, oh, time out. <laughs> you know, you're confused. God does the same thing when we say that at 40 or 50 or 60 or 70. He says, oh, no, 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 there's more, Greg. There's more that I want to grow you into. Don't get nostalgic for the old days. Don't be like Israel who halfway across the desert looked back and said, you know what, there was some good stuff in Egypt. Let's go back there. He said, no, don't, don't go there. He said, no, keep growing. Allow new wine to flow into your life. 
It's this tendency that the Apostle Paul is feeling at the beginning of Romans chapter 9. He is going to write to his fellow Jews very pointedly, very explicitly, to the Israel that he has grown up and always been a part of, to the people who thought of themselves as the people of God. And he's going to say to them, hey, gang, nostalgia's taken over. And it's cutting you off from the truth of the gospel. It's cutting you off from the God you say you belong to. Because the fullness of his story isn't in your past. The fullness of his story is now in Christ and going forward. Your whole story was meant to lead up to, to to be the, the foundation, the first half of the book of Jesus. And if you reject Jesus because you're clinging to the first half, you'll never know the second half of the book. Listen to what's on Paul's heart in Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. In other words, I I carry a burden. My heart is heavy. Ever been heartbroken over something? Paul's describing his own heartbrokenness. He says, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. The Greek word is ethnikos. We get the modern word ethnicity from it. He's he's talking about his tribe. He's talking about the the, the families and and culture that he grew up in. He says, "I, I could wish that I myself were cut off from Christ for their sake because the people of Israel don't know the God they came to belong to. They don't know Christ. Now, let me pause for a second and and, and understand. Paul here is expressing a a passion for his homies. Can I say that or is that too 1980s? You know, he's he's expressing a passion for his people because, because most of them are rejecting Jesus. And they're rejecting Jesus because of nostalgia. They're rejecting Jesus because of a fixation on the good old days and thinking of themselves as the the good old boys. And because of that, Paul's heart is heavy. Hey, gang, let's, let's understand something. As you grow up in Christ, if you grow up in Christ, as you mature in him, he is going to increasingly burden you for the people around you who don't know him. If you don't feel that, if you don't feel that, it means you stopped growing at some point. Because that's God's heart, is to reach people who are far from him and to make them his. He wants to give away his grace. He wants to become Savior, Lord, Father, and friend to every human being on the planet. And every human being who isn't there yet, he feels like this. He says, I have anguish in my heart. Jesus was called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Why? Why did Isaiah call him that? Because Jesus carried that burden. He wanted people far from him to know him. The more we know God, the more we'll feel like Paul did. In this moment, Paul's specifically talking about the nation of Israel, his fellow Jews. He's saying, oh, my heart is broken for them. He says they think that that, that they are saved by the law. They think that if they live a good enough life, they can climb the ladder, climb the mountain, earn their way into God's love and God's grace, and they're mistaken. They think of themselves as God's people because they were born at a certain place in a certain time, in a certain ethnicos, in a certain ethnicity, but they're wrong. He says they think of themselves as privileged instead of responsible. That's really at the 
at the crux of the matter all the way through is that Israel, the people that God began with, began his story in the world with, Israel began to see the fact that they were first as a privilege rather than a responsibility. We want to be careful of that. God has saved me so that I can join him in his mission of saving others. It's, it's a responsibility, not just a privilege. I'm not intended to just go, yay, for me. I'm intended to become aware of those who don't know him and to begin to pray for them and to, to bear witness to them in whatever ways I can, with words or not, that they might know him. To, to put it simply, the Jews thought of themselves as God's good old boys, keeping up the good old days and that good old time religion by steering away from this newfangled Jesus stuff. But the irony is that the Jesus stuff was not newfangled. It was the same all the way along. And it was the real thing, not their nostalgia. But their nostalgia had separated them from him. It's important, friends, for us to understand that Jesus didn't come to change the gospel of grace by faith. It was and is always the same. That's why he said, for example, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them to bring them into their, the fullness of the story, to help you put them in context with, with what God is doing in the world. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. In other words, understand, gang, the gospel of Jesus doesn't change the game. It reveals what the game always was. That's what God said to Abraham. You are justified by faith. It's when you believe that you become my son. Jesus didn't come to change that, but the Jews had begun to think in different terms. Oh, it's, it's more about the Ten Commandments than it is about believing. It's more about certain cultural norms than it is about loving God and loving my neighbor. So the irony of the whole thing is that the Jews, in their nostalgia, had created a made-up past and then begun to worship it. To, you know, to kind of frame this another way, Having a child is an incredibly sweet and sentimental thing, but raising a child is a lot of hard work. Somebody say amen, right? Yet, it's the hard work in the end that is the thing we look back on fondly, that is the thing we remember and we rejoice in. Well, in the same way, God says, hey, my gospel began with commandments, and those commandments are always on my heart, but it's really about my grace, which then teaches you to keep my commandments. The Jews had departed from that. They were rejecting Jesus because he was upsetting their comfortable old-fashioned ways, which is, when you think about it, sort of like keeping a picture of your husband when he was 20 and handsome, but refusing to live with him now that he's 60. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. That's not really about him. That's about your nostalgia. They had lost touch with God and fallen in love with their nostalgia more than him. And unless we be confused about this in any way, to the Jews who wanted to keep God but reject Jesus, Jesus himself said, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. He didn't say, don't think you're good just because you're Israel. You're not. I'll take the kingdom away from you if need be. Paul is going to circle back to that idea in verse 27 of chapter 9 when he says this. Listen to what he says, friends. He says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel that though the number of the Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. See, the Jews, the Israelites of that day said, well, we're Israel, we're the Jews, we're good, we're in. Paul says, watch out. Jesus says, watch out. God was always saying, that's not the idea. 
The idea is that you receive my grace by faith. Some people like to pretend that, that national political Israel or the, the ethnic Jews are God's people whether they believe in Jesus or not. Baloney. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. And Paul is trying to remind his tribe of that because they'd lost track of that. National, ethnic, political Israel does have a special role to play in God's plan, but that is completely different from salvation. And Paul's thinking of that as he goes on. Look at the next couple of verses, verses four and five. Here's what he says. He says about Israel, theirs is the adoption as sons, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. From them is traced the human ancestry of Christ who is God over all forever praised, amen. And they're a crucial part of the story. And if you want to understand who Jesus is and what he loves and, and what he hates and how to follow him and grow up in him, then you're going to learn this Jewish background because it is through that that he comes. But that's the first half of the book. And the whole point of the first half of the book is to get to the second half, which is Christ, which is Jesus. The point is to be nostalgic about the first half, but to receive the second half. Jesus put it this way when he was speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter four, he said this, lady, salvation is from the Jews. Yes, but it's not in the Jews. It's from the Jews. And the point is Jesus. It always is and always was. The whole point of Israel was to get to the coming of Messiah. But the Jews, because of their nostalgia, had forgot that. You see, gang, we see and experience God in Christ through the story of Israel. But the story itself is no substitute for the person. Just like a picture tells us about someone but isn't a relationship with them. I've noticed that some people like to hang pictures in their offices or their homes uh, of them with celebrities. And I always think to myself, what is the point? I mean, what is that supposed to mean? You, you want me to believe you're buddies with, you know, Brad Pitt? You're not. You just happened to be at the county fair when he was there and you paid 10 bucks and they took a picture and there it is, you know? Or you, you know, you had a business deal that you were somehow... So, I mean, what is the point? Now, there's nothing wrong with it. I get it, but I always think, what? You know, it's crazy. I could go around saying that I once was with the vice president of the United States overseas. You go, really? Wow. Yeah, well, here's the reality. For about 10 seconds as he got off a plane, I stood at attention with a couple of other Marines, and he walked by. <laughs> Doesn't make me with him. But a lot of times, nostalgia can say, well, I've hung around the things of God all my life. I must be with him. No, Paul says, no, it's about Jesus. Have you personally received him? There's a lot of people in the room with God but not with him. And Jesus was kind of pointed about, not kind of, he was very pointed about this. Listen to what he said. Matthew chapter seven, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father. Many will say to me on that day, on judgment day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out many demons and perform many miracles. We were in the room with you. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. You see, what Paul is concerned about is the Jews thought that because I hang around God's stuff, because I have a, a godly heritage, because I have a background that is associated with church, well, I, I'm in. Paul says, no, you've got to receive Jesus personally. The whole point of all that is him. The whole point of all that 
is knowing him and receive him. We want to grasp this because we have the same tendency. You know, uh, you don't want to be a trophy friend, amen? (laughs) And God doesn't want to be one either. He wants to be a real friend, a real father. When we come to him personally, believing in him personally, then we become Abraham's children. And that's what Paul was emphasizing. Look at verse 6. He says, It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who descended from Israel are Israel. Hear that. Just because you're born in Israel doesn't make you God's people. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, the children of the promise. It's when you believe in the gospel that you are credited with righteousness, that we are justified. It's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Paul's saying that to his Jewish brothers who tended to say, hey, we, we, we've been in the room. Yeah, but you don't. Know the Lord. That happens when you receive Jesus. So God wants us to know him personally. And each of us is called to receive him personally. You don't just say, well, my family goes to church, I'm good. No, actually you're not. Because this is about you and him personally. He wants to make you his family. That happens easily in the moment when we believe. But unlike the Jews were thinking, it's not just from hanging around the room. It's this misconception about knowing God by just hanging around his stuff that is also in Paul's mind in the next 20 verses and really into the beginning of chapter 10. And this next passage, I want to take a moment, gang, to to help you realize this is one of the most debated passages among believers in your Bible. Christians fall on one of two sides as they understand this passage. We call those sides Calvinist and Armenian. Calvinists tend to see this passage as teaching something called eternal security and election. Armenians or Wesleyan tend to see this as passages teaching eternal grace and free will. Both are in the big tent of Christian faith. Calvinists are my brothers. I am their brother. We are family together. Yet we disagree about some specifics of this particular passage. And if you don't think that that sincere, intelligent, God-honoring Christians can disagree about some things, then you're not paying attention. Romans chapter 14 goes at length to explain how we deal with that because it's real. It happens. One man considers one thing reverence, another man doesn't. Now, we're not talking about sin. We're not talking about right and wrong. We're talking about our understanding of a lot of lesser things. You know, the old joke is that the Calvinist pastor says, you know, I was predestined to teach you this doctrine. And the Armenian pastor says, well, you're free to think so. And you go around and around like that. The point is we're both on the same page as brothers, even though we disagree about some particulars. I hope that doesn't freak you out, but that's the reality. To keep it very simple, my Calvinist brothers are going to say that the meaning of verses 10 to 29 is that God sovereignly chooses who will be connected to him, and we have no role to play in that process. And that might be summed up by what we see in verse 16. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And, and our brothers are zealous that we would not take credit for what God has done, that we would humbly receive what God has done. I say amen to that. But we would emphasize what the scripture tells us, for example, in verse 29 of chapter 8. For those God foreknew, also, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. In other words, that God predestines us because he knew we would receive his free gift, entirely accomplished by him. It's a subtle difference, but you can't imagine how up in arms people can get about it. 
Here's the bottom line. If in your thinking God doesn't choose you or you don't choose God, you're in error because both are real. We are predestined. We are foreordained according to his foreknowledge. And we are called to choose him to receive the gift that he's given. Paul's point in these verses is not how God accomplishes salvation. It's that he, he has the right to choose whatever method he sees fit. And that is what he is saying to his Jewish brothers who thought to themselves, hey, we born and raised in Israel. We're all good. God said, no, no, no. It's much, much bigger than that. To kind of wrap it up, the scripture says we are predestined in Christ. Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, singular. The scripture does not say and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. In other words, we are included in God's family when we receive Jesus as our Savior. There's a difference between mercy and merit, and that's Paul's real point. When we admit that we are sinners who need grace, then we discover that God is a Savior who gives it. The Jews were nostalgic for something which never was. Ask Abraham, but the Gentiles were willing to receive the grace of God in humility and faith. And so he wraps up this whole thought. Look at verses 30 to 33 of chapter 9. He says, what then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? They didn't try to climb the ladder. They didn't believe in their ability to achieve. Yet they received righteousness, a gift freely given by God, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel who pursued a law of righteousness, who believed that they climb into God's favor, that they achieve God's love. Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, had not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts him will never be put to shame. In other words, when we come to God receiving his son as our savior, all we do is receive it. Then in that moment, we receive righteousness because in that moment, God knows we're humbled. God knows we've set ourselves aside. We've gotten honest. We've come clean. And so Paul wraps it all up in verse four of chapter 10. He says, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. But it's a righteousness, and this is his point all the way through, that must be received personally. Let me ask you, have you done that? Have you received the free gift of God's grace in his son, Jesus Christ? You know, here's what Paul's concerned about. Imagine that it's your birthday, and somebody shows up at your door with a birthday gift, and they give it to you, and you say, no, I can't receive that. What would that do to your relationship? Or flip the script. You buy a birthday present for a friend. You go to their house to deliver it. You show up at their door and you say, here, happy birthday. And they go, no, thanks. What would happen to your relationship? It would change. You would go, wait a minute. I thought we were in the place where we exchange gifts. You know, I thought birthday gifts were okay because we're family. We're friends. To receive, to refuse to receive the gift actually breaks the relationship. And that's what Paul is concerned about as he thinks about his fellow Jews. And that's what God is concerned about when he thinks about me and you. Is that our nostalgia, our yearning for the good old days, our belief that we somehow earn his love would get in the way of our receiving the free gift 
of salvation. Have you received that gift personally? That's the question this morning. If you haven't, then God is here to offer it. He's inviting you to experience it. If you have, he's here to remind you that it's a gift. It's given freely because you believe. And that relationship that's created when you freely receive it is the one that changes you. Let me finish with a story. When Andrew Jackson was president, a man named George Wilson robbed a a federal payroll train. It was a wagon train. This was the 1830s. He was caught, and in the course of that robbery, he injured one guard and, and killed another. And so he was brought to trial, and at the trial, he was convicted. There were multiple witnesses, and as a consequence of what was murder, he was sentenced to hang. But in those days in our country, the 1830s, if you can imagine, see, sometimes we think, well, they didn't talk about this back then, all contraire. In the 1830s, there was a huge debate about capital punishment and whether it should be carried out and when and how and by who. And and that debate began to center around George Wilson. And the movement got so strong that eventually appeals were made to the president to, to pardon him. Now, there's a story for why. I won't get into that. But the appeal was made to the president to pardon him. And in fact, the president, Andrew Jackson, eventually decided to do just that. He handed down a presidential pardon. George Wilson would not be hanged. But here's the rest of the story. When they went to the prison to deliver the presidential pardon, George Wilson refused to receive it. See, he was no fan of President Jackson. In fact, he voted for one of the other candidates. Couldn't stand this guy. And he said he didn't want a pardon from him, and he wouldn't receive a pardon from him, and he wouldn't leave his jail cell. Well, this created quite a kerfuffle and legal proceedings. Eventually got all the way to the Supreme Court. What did the Supreme Court say? They said, you know what? If, if Wilson refuses to receive it, receive it, then he can't have a pardon. And he must be hanged. And for no reason other than his own stubborn unwillingness to receive a pardon, George Wilson was in fact hanged. This is dumb when you think about it. You look like, dude, you know, Think about it this way. If you take the pardon, you can get out and activate against him for the rest of your life. You know, It makes no sense. It's just pride. It's just pride and orneriness. And God says that's the same thing that separates us from his gift. He's here today, every day of your life, to offer you the free gift of his grace in his son. All you have to do is receive it. Have you done that? Can I invite you to bow your head close your eyes this morning? If you've never received that gift, know this, that God is offering it to you here and now. That's what what Easter is about. He has the power to offer you that gift, and he's offering it to you. All you have to do is be willing to receive it, to say to God personally, yes, God, I receive your pardon. I'm a sinner. I receive your son as my Savior. And the moment that you do that, you're set free. All you have to do is receive it. You can do that right now and right here. God can hear your heart. You just tell him. Maybe you've done that a long time ago, but somewhere along the line, you started getting nostalgic for the good old days and for this and that and and that old-time religion, and pretty soon you weren't even on the same page with him anymore. You had forgotten that it was a free gift, a pardon given in Jesus. He wants to remind you of that this morning. He wants to set your heart free again in the grace of God. 
And so he invites you to remember the real story. Not the nostalgia, but the real story. You all alone, knowing you needed a Savior and opening your heart to one. He wants that joy, that first love to be yours again. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Keep us, Lord, from imaginary nostalgias that separate us from you. Keep us instead growing up in you as we explore this gift of grace in your son. We pray for that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning, church? I hope you're going to enjoy this afternoon. Hope you got your flip-flops packed to go to the lake if you need them. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of his Holy Spirit, go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love him. Have a great afternoon.